Father, we know in this country there are many which are suffering now because of these shootings. And we know that these men who have done this are of the spirit of Antichrist. They are against life, that which is good. We know that in some way their psychology is messed up. And Father, we would pray that we uh, would all have a unified heart for those families that have suffered, and like the boy in Texas who died, and children, Lord, or that was up in California, the little six-year-old. Father, we would ask that you would intercede, that you would come down and provide those who can stop these shootings from happening, that you would somehow enable these law enforcement officials to get a handle to get some type of perception to figure out who the people are before the attacks take place. We know that you are able to do this. We know that you are able to thwart the plans of the devil, who is the propagator of such disasters, such tragedies. But Father, we want to ask for comfort for those families who are suffering under the loss, even right now in Dayton, Ohio, just dealing with the aftermath. And we pray, Lord, that this would be a warning uh, to those who would seek to do damage in the future, copycat murderers that would be out there, that their life is going to end. And I pray that you would bring that to the forefront, for they will be stopped, we know. And if not now, they will be judged later. But Father, may we have your mercy at this time. Thank you, Lord. Father, I also want to pray for the people who are wounded, that are recovering, that were not killed but are in pain. I ask that you would just relieve the pain for them. And also, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you in their time of need as well as the families. And may they express to you thankfulness that they were not taken, that they are still here with their family and their friends. And Father, as we look into your word... We have understanding of why these things take place. And we know it is because of sin. And because of that sin, we know that we are all under judgment. And we all die a physical death as a result. So Lord, help us to be ever aware of what your word says as we go to and fro from home to work to church and wherever else we may find ourselves. And Father, may you enlighten us this morning through your word and the gospel of Matthew. May you teach us your ways. May you bring to us understanding of how we're to live in this life and how we're to react. In Jesus' name, amen. So certainly we're going to want to keep those people in prayer. You know, we had the garlic festival shooting. We have the Dayton, Ohio. We have the Texas Walmart shooting. And there's going to be more. We know that there are. Uh, The first one I ever remember happening on this type of scale was down at McDonald's in San Ysidro. And that was probably 20 or 30 years ago now at least uh, that that took place. And, of course, like I said, there's going to be more. So we need to be ever diligent in prayer for the Lord's protection. Now, we left off in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 20. And we began there by Jesus telling a parable about hired workers. 
and everywhere from 6 o'clock in the morning all the way to 5 o'clock in the evening, the master went out and he hired workers to work in his field. And beginning from the last one hired to the first one hired, the master gave instruction to his men to go and pay, and they all received a denarius, the amount for a full day's wage. And we are to learn from that that the people that got paid last that bore all of the weight of the labor, they were disgruntled. They were not happy that the master was generous with his funds, with his money. And the master said, why are you angry? Did you not agree to work for this amount? And of course they had, but they just wanted more. And so the lesson we're supposed to learn from that is longevity does not ensure prosperity in the kingdom of God. We're not going to be rewarded just because we've been working at it longer, especially if we're disgruntled along the way. If we're complaining about everything, you know, if, and I have a, a tendency to, I've mentioned this before, when I drive and people do stupid stuff because I'm such a perfect driver, you know, you, you, you see them and I want, I go, really? I'm really? Or, or I see videos of people. Did you see that guy over in uh, England? They were coming to a roundabout and this car had a dash cam on there and this van comes whipping around probably doing 80 miles an hour and didn't know there was a roundabout hit the roundabout and actually became airborne over the roundabout i feel sorry for that individual just because they have to get somewhere and get somewhere fast they're not being concerned about anybody else that's driving out there and you know we're we're so angry sometimes at people like that that drive or people that don't act the way we want them to act or they don't act in our image and therefore we get upset and disgruntled or they take something of ours and they move it and we complain about that and God says no your reward is diminished as a result of that type of thing so we want to make sure that even if we are long in the Christian faith that we are not finding ourselves complaining and bickering and murmuring and something difficult comes up, you just go, oh well, everything God does, he does for our good. And that's how we have to look at it. And if we have that perspective, our reward will be great. Anything else, by the way, is idolatry. And you might ask, well, how is it idolatry to complain? It's because we are giving in to our will and our desire. And we vocalize it rather than giving in to God's will and his desire. We place ourselves on the throne and we say we are more important than God's standard. And we place it beneath us. And that is idolatry. And many people, I think, in the church, not this church, but just in the church universal... We think it's okay. What about me? What about I? What about myself? And we're so concerned about ourselves that we forget what God has required of us. And so that was the lesson from the hiring of the workers. Now, in Matthew chapter 20, verses, beginning in verse 17, we have here the road to the cross. Then we're going to go on to the request for control and 
the irate companions. So the road to the cross. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. This is the first time Jesus mentions that he's going to the cross. And this is right before the last week of his life as he goes from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And he also mentions the method of his death. In another gospel, it says he will also be spit on, not just mocked and flogged. And so he's going to be taunted, of course, we know by the uh, guard which is there, and they they put a sack over his head, and they beat him, and they say, well, which one hit you? And they play this game, and he was just brutally beaten, and he would not even have been recognized uh, as a man, because I'm sure his face was all puffy and he was probably bleeding from the impacts of the fists that the guards uh, would lay upon him. And we need to understand that in this section here, in 17 through 19, it's really the treatise, why Jesus came to earth. This is his purpose. This is why he came. He came to die. That was it. He came to redeem us. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came, to pay the ransom. Now when you think of the word ransom, you think somebody has taken you captive and they've thrown you into a room and they're demanding a million dollars and if they don't get it, they're going to kill you or they're going to cut off fingers or they're going to do something brutal to the individual, whether it's us or someone else that is in a room like that. And that's what we think of when we think of ransom. But this word ransom, it actually refers to a price being paid to satisfy the debt. The debt that we have is the debt of sin. Because we have sinned, God says, now You have a price to pay for that sin, and the price is life. You must give your blood. The blood contains the life of the individual, and God says, you must give that. You must give up your life. And that still doesn't entitle us, even if we give up our life in a sacrifice, even if literally we offered our body as a sacrifice and we poured out our blood, God would not say, oh, that satisfies the ransom, that satisfies the debt. Because we still have that sinful nature in our life. It's in our blood. That's where our life is located. And God said that's still not enough to get into heaven. He requires a sacrifice which is perfect. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus, being God in human form, is perfect without sin. His blood was the perfect sacrifice and was acceptable to God. Now, he is just one man, but we know from Scripture... Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way, we also die. Death came to all men because all sinned. And so Jesus was able to satisfy this requirement of paying the ransom. Just one man, just like one man brought all sin, one man brought redemption. That's what the scripture teaches us. That's the doctrine behind this idea of sacrifice. Now we are invited 
to follow Jesus in death. Now, that is not a popular uh, uh, meme which is out there for the world. Oh, you want me to come and die? Uh, yeah. You want to sign up? Uh, the world would look at us, those who believe, and say, you're crazy. You're nuts. And they would say, you worship this dead guy who spilled out his blood. What was the deal with that? Of course, they don't understand what Scripture has to say about that. But in John chapter 12, verse 23... It it says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, this idea of seeds, you know, since I'm in the uh, gardening industry, I I pull weeds all the time. And there's one weed that we have in our area out here. It's called lamb's quarter. I've talked about this a couple years ago. Lamb's quarter is a a plant that uh, grows up. The leaves look a little bit like lamb's ears. And it will put off 75,000 seeds. One plant will put off 75,000 seeds. You have the, the spotted spurge, which is out there, and it grows completely flat on the ground, and it, it spreads out. And there's a couple of different types, but that is also fifty to 75,000 seeds for one plant. One seed caused that multiplication. And that's just the weeds. Now, what about the, the good fruit or the wheat? Same thing with the wheat. If you plant a single kernel of wheat, you can have 30, 60, or 100 kernels show up on the top of that wheat head. But it has to die first. And that's what Jesus was talking about here. He gave his life, and because he did, as a result, there was more life that came from that. And when each seed gets propagated, it turns into tens of thousands if not millions and even billions over the years. And so Jesus is calling us to be like him. If we die, if we get planted, if we do our job, if we become selfless, we will multiply. And if somebody is healthy in the spiritual realm, you will multiply. There will be somebody that comes along and you will pour your life into them and you will instruct them. When I got saved, I, I, I didn't get saved in a church. I got saved because of a radio broadcast down in Palm Desert. And I thought, well, this is great. And I started talking to God, and I actually knew what he was telling me to do. And coming back up here to San Diego, I, I remember, not audibly, but very clearly, him instructing me, and I had no one to teach me. And I, I was a waiter at a restaurant And I happened on the back of the restaurant, because I was saved, and I started going to a church, I I put down a cross with three dots, because I saw another waitress do that before. And I thought, well, that's cool. I'm a Christian. I can do that. Cross, three dots, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hey, that's all good. And I didn't, I know nothing about Christianity at that point. And I did that, and I served this couple at this table, Their names were Jeff and Tess, and they saw the cross, and they said, oh, what is this? And I go, it's a cross. 
oh, a cross. What are the three dots? I said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they go, really? Oh, we're Christians too. They just moved here from Chicago. They were looking for a church. They ended up going to the church. He ended up discipling me. I was with him for about three years. I'm just going, wow, God, this is really great. He, he showed me how to teach a Bible study. He instructed me in the ways. We'd go running in the mornings about three miles around the golf course in Benita. And we just had great fellowship. And I grew so much under him because he was that seed that invested in me. And I, in turn, felt I needed to invest in others. And so we started a Bible study and we took off from there. You probably have a similar story where somebody came to you and they said, I'm going to help you. You need to be discipled. You need to understand what the Word of God teaches. You need to put it into practice. I remember asking Jeff several questions about doctrine. What about this? What about that? And his wife was real eager to answer. And he would just go, no, no. And he would tell her, or tell me the answer, and, he, and I just go, wow, that is just, my mind was just blown, man, you know, it's just spread apart because of what scripture actually said, and, and coming to the understanding of what was in there, and I was so blessed by him, but we are all blessed by Christ, but somebody else needs to be blessed by you, by you saying, come on with me, come to church, sit down, Learn the doctrine we need to learn. Get involved in service. And if you do these things, we're fulfilling this idea of being a disciple, which is the great commission which we will get to at the end of this book, the end of the Gospels. That's what he left the disciples with. Go out and make disciples. Now, he didn't just say that to the 12 apostles. He said it to everybody. We're supposed to go grab somebody and bring them in, say, I'm going to invest in you, I'm going to die to myself in order to do it. That's the job of every believer which is out there. And by the way, whatever position or power or status, if we wish to follow Jesus, we must follow in his footsteps, dying to self, and even literally dying physically for others if he calls us to do so. To be a witness. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So we are to offer ourselves in service to God. That does not get us salvation. I like to repeat that every time I talk about some work we're supposed to do. The thing that gets us salvation is believing our faith is what does it. And it's by the grace of God that he gives us even the faith to believe. Now, the world, they are against this thing called death. You know, the, I don't know if you guys have seen the research out there. I keep on emailing myself stories that I run across. And when we get into the end time stuff, I'll probably bring them up. But there's a couple out there that just came out this last week. The first one I saw is they're going to mix human DNA with mice. Then they're going to mix it with rats. China has already mixed it with monkeys. And they want to bring those to full fruition. And they even showed this picture of a human-monkey hybrid. You ever read the book Dr. Moreau, The Island of Dr. Moreau? That's what it was about, was mixing the DNA of human beings and animals. Now, how long do you think it's going to be before God says, that's enough? 
you're not going to continue with that. And they're, they're saying, well, the reason we want to do that with the mice and the rats is because we want to be able to grow organs in their bodies and harvest them for anybody who might need it. And, of course, there's other ways to do it. I just saw a little video of a guy who lost his ear, and they grew an ear in his leg, the, the uh, cartilage. And you could look at his leg and you say, there's an ear underneath that leg right there. And the things that they're able to do now, and China also has already been undertaking the plan to develop designer babies. How tall do you want your baby? What color eyes do you want on that baby? What's the level of intelligence that you want on that baby? You know, there's going to be problems with that. You ever hear of this idea of the butterfly effect? You do something and something else, just the opposite results. What if they get some guy that's super intelligent but has no moral foundation? None whatsoever. He becomes a psychopath. You know, they make movies about that stuff. And that could easily happen. And so we are to seek to lose our life, not enhance it. And these, the Google guys and the uh, Facebook guys, they are pouring billions of dollars to save their life, to live forever. They want to make sure that they extend it out and they'll never die. And they are pouring, like I said, billions of dollars into that right now. It's kind of under the radar. And guess who's going to be able to afford it? Only the billionaires and the millionaires. And, and it's going to be one of those things that come. And if you seek to save your life like that, you're going to lose it. God says that nobody can get into heaven with that kind of body. And we're all going to be judged. And the individual who says that God didn't appoint us to die, oh, yes, he did. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It has been appointed unto man once to die. Now, we fear death, but we don't have to because we have Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to this idea of being a kernel, a seed, falling to the ground, it's for the purposes of replicating and helping others. But in order to help others and replicate, we have to die. It's not a popular message, but God calls us to this. Now, the world would also say little axioms like dress for success. Have you ever heard that? No, I, I like you know, I think somebody should wear nice clothes. And I, they don't have to be fantastic, just as long as they're neat. And, you know, I, I used to uh, wear Levi jeans, and my mom would get the iron-on patches for the knees and run those the iron across that. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. but And then you'd go to school, and you'd have these patches on your denim jeans, and that was cool. Now... You can buy them with holes in it. And there's, you know, are you really buying that? And you're paying double the amount for holes in your clothes? What? And, you know, times are a changing, I guess. But they would say, the world would say, dress for success. What would John the Baptist and Elijah say? Camel's hair. That's the way to go in a leather belt. They weren't dressing for success. They were living for God is what they were doing. And, of course, that's all they had. They were impoverished. They were poor. They had nothing. They relied on God for everything. John the Baptist relied on grasshoppers and honey. That's what he ate. He didn't go eat the delicacies in king's palaces or anything like that. Uh, What about this one? Hit a home run. Go out there and hit a home run. Not referring to baseball, but uh, life or the job, what did the Apostle Paul say? 
But whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. You know, they, they, the world wants us to go out and be a success. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't bless somebody because he has purposes. That's all good. That's wonderful. But if that's all we're doing, we should consider everything lost if we're going to follow Christ. How about rags to riches story? What about rags to giving everything away story? When I hear things like that, I am so impressed. Of course, in the back of my mind, I'm going, well, why don't you keep some for yourself? Remember, we just went through the parable of the, or the rich young ruler. He came up, and what did Jesus say he lacked? He lacked selling all of his stuff because he didn't have the trust. You know, and you can have stuff, but if you don't have the trust, you might as well just get rid of all of it. Or how about this? The sky's the limit. That's an axiom of the world. Sky's the limit. Whatever you want to make, you just go out here and you just do it. You know, especially if you go to Wall Street. They, I remember back in the 80s, one of the things that they would do in the interview, if you went into uh, trading and you were in the stock market, that type of thing, or the financial industry, one of the questions they would ask is, how much do you want to make? If you gave them a solid answer, they wouldn't hire you. They wanted to make sure the sky was the limit. And what does it say in John? About John the Baptist, what did he say? He must become greater, I must become less. You know, and, and so the world, this idea of dying in the world, they say, no, save the life, do the genetic research, get all you can. The person with the most toys when he dies wins. And that's how we look at life in the world. In Christ, we look at the life in, as, what can I get rid of? What can I do without? Because I want to focus more on Christ. And nobody should be condemned if they have stuff, and nobody should be condemned if they don't have stuff. All who are in the Lord will be judged by the Lord himself. And so that's not our job. We're not supposed to come in and say, no, you shouldn't have all that. If somebody gets just filthy rich, wonderful. God, use them and use that wealth. And however you do it, get the gospel out with them. I don't care. You're going to judge that. I don't have to judge that. Or the person who is poor. Because they choose to be poor. That's fine. That's okay. They give away all of their wealth. That is just perfectly fine. But the idea is we're supposed to be like the seed that falls to the ground so that others may benefit because of our dying to self. Going on. Jesus talks about him going to the cross. Describes it. Says, I have to die. We know from scripture, we're all supposed to die. But here come the disciples. Here come two of the disciples, the mother. Says, then the mother, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked for a favor. So let's get this picture. Jesus is either standing or sitting. The mother of Zebedee's sons comes up. She bows down. Zebedee's sons bow down. And what is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And by the way, Jesus was speaking of death. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right 
or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So Jesus talks about death. And what are these guys thinking about? Life and power and celebrity and the ability to make decisions. By the way, this was Salome or Salome. That was the name of James and John, the mother of James and John. And so they had conspired. They probably got off in the corner. All the other disciples are there. And these two guys pull themselves off. The ten are over there. And the mother says, you know, you need to ask Jesus if you can sit on the right or on the left. It's probably the mother saying, you need to do this. But it also says in another gospel, it was the two disciples that asked. If you put it all together, all three of them that were there. And they just wanted power. They wanted position. They wanted authority. All of those things. And it's like, like, hey, didn't you even just get what Matthew was talking about there before? You're supposed to die. You're not supposed to try to increase in this life and seek out power. You're supposed to abase yourself, put yourself down below. And Jesus presents us with the cross, but these guys were asking for the crown. They didn't get what Jesus was talking about. Very few are willing to be a servant and die unto themselves. Then you have the irate companions. Verse 24 When the ten heard about this, they were indignant. Now, this word indignant means angry and annoyed. Now, why do you think they were angry and annoyed? I didn't do it first. That's the problem. I didn't go to Jesus first and ask for this because now he might give it to them. And they're just kind of going back and forth. Remember, they debated who was greatest in the kingdom. They were going to be, oh, no, I did more miracles than you did. Oh, yeah, did you call fire down from heaven? No, I didn't. But I raised somebody from the dead, and they're just going back. Look what I did. You know, that's the flesh. If you're bragging about what you have done, the accomplishments in your life, and and I've done that in the past. All of us have done that at some point in the past. But now I try to just, I'm going to use this word, I try to shut up. I try not to say anything at all. And if I blow it, I go, Lord, I'm so sorry. You know, and it's a struggle for all of us not to talk about the things that we have accomplished. And you immediately recognize it if somebody else comes up and says, look what I did. Yeah, we've, we've done great things or I've done fantastic things. Let the praises come from another man's lip and not from our own. We want to make sure if there's any accolades to be given, they don't come from we ourselves to ourselves in the hearing of other people. God knows our heart in these things, and we're to be humble. But they were angry and annoyed with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And that is the only leadership example they've had, is those in the temple, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, those who had the places of honor, That's what these two disciples were seeking after. And he goes on to say, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here's Jesus saying, Die, be a servant. What does the world say? Live, get all you can. It's completely opposite, and the world does not understand that. You know, um, I like to do stuff. I, I, 
I've gone out and uh, rode quads and, you know, I've scuba dive. I just do everything that I can possibly do, but I don't like having stuff. And my neighbor once came up to me and said, so why don't you guys have trailers and four by fours and ski boats and because they had all of that. And uh, actually, he didn't ask me. He asked one of my daughters, and I never got a chance to answer. He says, I don't like taking care of it. I I don't like maintaining that stuff. Something's always going to break. My first job that I had, first real job, uh, the guy who was training me, he said, you know, if it works, it's going to (laughs) break. Oh, that was profound. And he would get in there, and he would start cussing when something would break, and it wouldn't work right, and he'd try to fix it back together. And I found myself starting to do that. I became a Christian. I go, no, i got to stop. I can't do that. But if it works, it's going to break. You guys have a car that's never broken down? We all have, right? And it costs us. And so the more you have, the more that breaks, the more you have to spend to maintain all that stuff. And I find, hey, better a tasty morsel than with contentment than feasting with strife and strife over all the stuff that you can collect. The less I have, the better I like it. And that's not because that's the way I was originally built. It's because I see the wisdom in that that God has. And many of you have seen the same thing. And so the fewer problems we have in this life, the better, the fewer possessions, the more contentment we have. And Jesus tells us, that we are to be dying and be the servant of all. That we are not to seek to elevate ourselves in positions to rule over individuals. We are to be the ones that do the dirty work. Remember what Jesus did, how he washed the feet of the disciples? And I think most of you know what that illustrates. It was the position of the lowest servant in the household. He was given the job of washing the feet of those who would visit that household. And he had have to wash them and, and dry them off. And Jesus did that for his disciples. And he left the example, you are to be the lowest servant in any household. Whether it, the, the quote-unquote higher you go in ministry, that means you clean more toilets. That means you sweep more corners. That means you do more painting. That means you do more repairs. That means you pray for more people. That's what it means. It doesn't mean people get to come to you and pat you on the back and say, oh, you're just so wonderful. And you go, I know. And it's not going to change. It's going to stay that way. You know, if the person that has that kind of attitude, they're destined for a fall. It's not very humble to walk around like that. So Jesus says we are to not be first. The way up and the way down. See, the, the way up leads to falling The way down leads to going up to Christ. So if you said it again in another way, the way up is down, the way down is up. That's all you have to remember. So if we humble ourselves, God will glorify us and lift us up. If we raise ourselves up, God will humble us and bring us down. So God wants us to be just like him. So we had this idea of the cross over commendation even persecution over promotion or suffering over superiority or lowliness over loftiness or prostration over position. All of those things describe how we're supposed to walk in the life of Christ. Now, 
they said this as soon as Jesus said he was going to the cross, at least in this gospel here. We have it in chronological order, it seems. And if that's the case, they're making a big error. They wanted the crown rather than what Jesus mentioned of the cross. They wanted the throne, a position of importance, and a place of control and status. And Jesus doesn't want that. But who does? Who is the evil one that wants that? It is Satan. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. And of course, we, uh, most theologians believe that's Satan talking about how he's going to be higher than God. And God goes, ah, no, I don't think so. And he's going to lower Satan to the lowest point in hell and the punishment which is going to be there. So many want to be celebrities, but very few want to be servants. The goal should be serving and not ruling. And the example he gives, Jesus gives, is that of himself. If you truly desire to serve God... And to be great in his kingdom, we are to become slaves of Jesus Christ and others. And by the way, once you say, you know, I'm going to follow Christ. It's just burning in my heart. I want to do this. I want to become a servant to all. How do you feel when you're treated like one? How do you feel if somebody debases you, if they insult you, and and you, you stand up and go, don't talk to me like that? Why? I thought you were a slave. You see how it works? We get so offended. I have rights, you know. Isn't that the big movement in the world today? Rights? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I, I, actually, I think I put this at the bottom of the message. Let me tell you something about the rights that uh, they're pushing for. I have it down here somewhere. Well, I'm just going to tell you what it is. Do you know in California in 2017, I just learned about this. If you're a healthcare worker in the state of California and you don't call somebody by their preferred pronoun that comes in for healthcare, you can be fined $1,000 or be thrown in jail. It's now the law if you don't do that because people have rights. As believers, we have the right to be Jesus' slave. We don't have the right to demand of others. We have the right to serve. We have the right to die. We have the right to follow his example, but to lift ourselves up. And if we get treated like a slave, if we get treated like a servant, we don't have the right to be offended by that. If you go back to the time of Jesus Christ, if the slave was offended and voiced that opinion, they would be beaten back in the time of Christ. But today, we think, well, no, we're better than that. We're much higher than that, and we don't have to do that anymore. And that's simply not true. Now, going on with this, we know that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and he became their example in John chapter 13, verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So going on in verse 29. 
As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have, mer- son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Now, this person, one of these people, was blind Bartimaeus. I don't know if you remember that story from any Sunday school lesson. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it reads, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And it's also recorded in Luke about these blind men which were there. And Bartimaeus apparently was a more prominent individual. He's actually named. And he just simply wanted to be healed in his sight. He wanted to make sure that he could see everything which was out there. And Jesus had compassion. Now, I'm going to close this part out right here. We see that Jesus called us to die. He called us to be a servant. And he called us to have compassion. Those are the things from this chapter that we're supposed to take away. We are not supposed to seek to live. Those who seek to save their lives will lose it. We are not supposed to seek to be a ruler. We are supposed to seek to be a servant. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. And we're not to be apathetic to the plight of those who are out there. Those who have infirmities. Those who have not had all the blessings that they think they should have for, to one degree or another, and they've been infirmed or they've been held back. We're supposed to have compassion on them. That's the example that Jesus gave us. Now, when it comes to compassion, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, he had compassion on us. That's why he came and died. And since he came and died, we have the ability to accept the free gift of life. You know it. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who has done that has received compassion from Jesus himself, and he has called us to be one of his children. We were not one of the children of God before that time. And those people of the world who say we're all just children of God, they are not all just children of God. You have to ask to be adopted by him, to be brought into the family by confessing your sins and asking him to save you. Just like I have done, ask him to save me. In recognition of the sacrifice, the perfect blood that was given, we recognize that sacrifice through the blood or the cup, the juice, and the bread. The bread is the body of Jesus Christ which has been given for us, and the cup is his blood. And so that's what we're going to do when we receive the bread and the juice And if the worship team would come up right now, and we're going to go ahead and sing a song. And as we sing that song, if you need to call out to God and say, God, you know, I've sought to save my life. Or if you need to call out to God and say, God, I've tried to see everything I can do to be a leader and to take a position of authority. Not because you've called me to it, because I just want to raise myself. If you find yourself being apathetic and uncaring towards the people of the world, all three of those things, you probably need to say, Jesus, forgive me. And it's appropriate to do it when we're singing this song. So once we start singing the song, the guys are going to turn off the lights, then they'll come up and they'll go ahead and 
take the cup and the bread and they'll pass it out and we'll participate in receiving it together.